0: Hello, people of the way, blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to Hebrews chapter 9, the book of Hebrews chapter 9. We continue our study through the new covenant. And here we are discussing and uh, studying these deeper spiritual matters. Remember, when the writer of Hebrews says, you know, in chapter 5, remember, let us move on to perfection. Let us, you know, uh, lay aside, let us uh, move on from the elementary things. And so here we are in verse one, and the writer says this, then indeed, then indeed, even the first covenant. Now, the first covenant, remember the law, with you know, the law, the, the fleshly commandments from Hebrews chapter seven, the fleshly commandments. And even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and earth, and the earthly sanctuary. Now, remember, this addresses the purpose and place. Remember in our studies in the Old Testament and also New Testament, how the whole purpose is for people to be right with God, for people to be right with God. Now, the means by which people are right with the Lord is handled one way in the Old Covenant and handled another way in the New Covenant. And so we look at the divine service and the earthly sanctuary. Now, that's the place. But this is in regards to the earthly sanctuary, not the heavenly. This is the earthly sanctuary because remember verse 1, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and the earthly sanctuary in verse 2, for a tabernacle was prepared. Now, do you remember our study? If you've been walking with us for a while, you remember our study in Exodus, how in when the Lord uh, 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 called Moses up into the mountain to receive the blueprints and you know he goes up the mountain with the elders and joshua and the elders and he tells the elders okay you elders stay right here and then Moses or moses and joshua they continue going up and you know okay joshua you stay right here and then moses goes into the mountain into the cloud and he receives the commandments he receives the blueprints the blueprints you see and it's so beautiful because from blueprints to realization a lot happens. I meant from the blueprints that Moses received from the Lord to the actual construction of the tabernacle and then to the actual performing of the duties of the priesthood, from blueprints to realization, but then also from tabernacle to temple or temporary to permanent. Because the tabernacle that we see in the Old Testament and the earlier passage, earlier chapters of the Old Testament, the earlier books of the Old Testament, that tabernacle, it's temporary, but there is a permanent temple. We haven't gotten there yet in our studies in the Old Testament. I mean, if you've been walking with us for a long time, you know, you might reflect and remember our study through the Minor Prophets. But here we are on Wednesdays, we're in our studies and judges and we're going to continue on and we're going to see, you know, this building, the construction of the permanent temple. Now, there is defiling of the permanent temple. And so, you know, we see how the Lord responds. And remember, the whole time the Lord is just doing exactly what he says he's going to do. But in the Old Testament, we have this very example of blueprint to realization in terms of tabernacle to temple or temporary to permanent. But for you and me, for you and me, it's exactly the same. Because John chapter one, verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and translates as to tabernacle with us. You see, in our Old Testament studies we've seen the intimacy of Moses and the Lord. God and Moses, Moses and God, remember? And Moses or the Lord speaks of Moses and he says, "I speak to Moses as a friend." But what about us? What about you? Remember in Hebrews chapter 1, God speaks in these last days by his son. And what about your intimacy with Jesus? Moses was a friend of God. What about us? What about you? You see? And Jesus, when he's speaking to the disciples, you know, he says, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. Because a servant wonders what his or her master is going to do. That's what a servant does. Wonders like, oh, I want, you know, what does the master like? What does the master not like? It's, it takes time to understand. If you and me were servants in a master's house. It would take time for you and me to understand. If you remember our study in the Old Testament, how many times did we refer to these examples where you know you and me? I'm the cook, and you know you're uh, you know say I'm uh, you know I'm the servant and I'm the cook, and you're the servant. Uh, you clean, or vice versa, or you know you prepare the table. I'm the cook, and you you're like the server. You 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 take the meal from the kitchen to the table. Now, it's going to take time for you and me to understand the ways of the master, what he likes, what he dislikes. It's going to take time where the first meal, maybe even the second meal, maybe even the third meal, I might put too much salt. And, you know, our master doesn't like salt, you see. And then in the course of time, our master, he says, hey, pull up a chair, sit down and eat with me. And then he tells us, you know, no longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends. Why? Because we no longer wonder what our master likes, what our master dislikes. We no longer wonder. Why? Because we know through intimacy. And Jesus says to the disciples, he says, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. Because friends, they don't wonder about the master. What does the master like? What does the master dislike? No, because they know they're friends. And Moses was a friend of God. Abraham was a friend of God in James chapter 2. In John chapter 1 verse 14. Remember we read in in, in, uh, 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 verse 14 of John chapter 1. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Well, there's more to the verse. And we, in John 1 verse 14. And we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Who among us beholds His glory? Who among us will continue to do so? Because understand, there is also a temporal nature in us. There is a temporal nature in us, in these temples of ours. You see, just like we study the Old Testament and we see the tabernacle, Israel in the wilderness and you see the tabernacle and the Lord is with them. But then at the same time, what happens when uh, uh, Israel becomes defiled? And it just so happens we're studying the, that very subject matter in Judges chapter 2. It just so happens. It just so happens. But as Israel learns, they're moving to a place where there is no longer the temporal tabernacle, but the more permanent temple, the brick and mortar. You see? what about us? The temporal nature to us in these temples, these earth suits that we presently wear, and you and me together moving on to perfection, understand that there is also a permanent aspect to what we can look forward to and i speak of the glorified body i speak of the resurrection you see and it's beautiful it's glorious and these are things remember we've moved on from you know milk We've moved on from the bottle and milk and, you know, no disrespect to the word of God because it's the Lord himself who has this expectation for you and me to move on to perfection. But remember how in the writer of uh, of Hebrews in chapter five and six, if the Lord permits. And yes, the Lord desires us to move on to perfection, but that's the problem with the flesh. That's the problem with the flesh. When people decide to toy around with the flesh and mess around with things that ought not to be messed around with, what happens? Arrested development. The inability to move on to perfection. It would be like, say, we're kids. You and me, we're kids. And we're in kindergarten, preschool, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade. And we can't move on to perfection. Say we, we're in third grade and they say, hey, you know, I'm sorry, but you guys got to repeat third grade. And we're bummed out. And then it comes the end of the year. Hey, I'm sorry, but you guys got to repeat third grade again. And then the next year, hey, I'm sorry, but you guys got to repeat it again. And it's that perpetual state of grade three, grade three, grade three, or, you know, even worse, grade two. Even worse, grade one. The perpetual first grader. The perpetual kindergarten. And that's not good. The perpetual preschooler. That's not good. Because we're supposed to move on to perfection. But when we see the writer who says. If the Lord permits. Because the Lord knows. And that's the problem with the flesh. Flesh. The the very flesh. The very earth suits that we're in. And the desires of the flesh. It's these very things. Which prohibit growth. And maturity. And that's why. Teachers and pastors and overseers need to teach about the flesh, the problem with the flesh, and need to deal with the flesh, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, according to the Word of God. And that's how overseers deal with the flesh. They themselves not being hypocrites, but being examples of how to deal with the flesh. You see, and when you and me move on to perfection, we become mature in Christ, able to comprehend these deeper spiritual matters, but at the same time to become deadly, the good deadly, not the bad deadly, the good deadly. Remember, the good deadly is the example with like Paul and Timothy. Remember the the, the demons with the sons of Siva? How the demons say to the sons of Siva, Jesus we know, Paul we know, but who in the world are you? You know why? The demons absolutely knew Jesus, but the demons, they knew Paul as well. He was the good deadly. He doesn't play around. Paul can handle some serious business. And praise be to the Lord because... Paul himself says the Lord has us as examples so that you and me can see, okay, this is how we fight. You see, this is how we walk in the Lord and this is how we fight the good fight. And Paul doesn't wear that like, you know, get on a high horse and say, oh, look at me. I'm so awesome. I'm so awesome. You know what Paul says of himself? He says, you guys, you guys are awesome. You guys are like kings. Us. The workers in the field, he says, were like trash. We're the scum of the earth. That's what he says. Go back. If you're listening to for the first time, go back and listen to our studies from 1 Corinthians. And you'll learn about growing and maturing in Christ. And you'll see the problem with the flesh because that's what that was a big problem in the church in Corinth. Separation had to happen. The remnant to separate away from the leaven. And once that happened, now, okay, now let's get you cleaned up and let's move on to perfection. You see? And we have this very example in the Old Testament. In verse 2, For a tabernacle was prepared. The first part or the first chamber of the holy place. Remember our studies in the Old Testament when Moses was receiving the blueprints and the Lord gave him instructions on you know the, the layout of the, the tabernacle. And the first part in which was the lampstand. In verse 2, the lampstand, the table, and the showbread. This is the... The first chamber, so to speak. The lampstand, the table, and the showbread. Beautiful to see the showbread here. Now, in the Old Testament, there is, you know, a lot of times what happens with regard to showbread, there are a lot of rabbis who teach that the showbread was Unleavened, or pastors who teach that the showbread was unleavened, and a lot of rabbinical teachings and even Talmudic teachings how the showbread was unleavened. But in Torah, in Torah, there is no verse that says showbread is not without leaven. You see, and sometimes, you know, my Jewish friends. They consider this borderline blasphemous, if not straight up blasphemous. But Torah does not indicate. There is no verse that says the showbread is not without leaven. Very important to understand. Now, there are sacrifices and offering where those are definitely unleavened. Where those, remember, nothing mangy, nothing mangy. But the showbread, and sometimes you've had these conversations with Jewish people, and they're like, how dare you? How dare you suggest that leaven be in the holy place? But it's not in Torah. You know why? It's an Old Testament example of us, the Christian. You know why? Why? Because we're in these earth suits. We're in
1: these earth suits.
0: We're in the flesh. We're not of the flesh, but we're in the flesh. We're trapped in these earth suits, presently speaking. But it's temporal. And these earth suits, where can be found leaven, it's the carnal nature. Which is why you and me, we have to take the old man. We have to take the old woman and reckon him dead, reckon her dead. And in these earth suits of ours, still in the holy place, in the presence of the Lord. And I'm speaking supernaturally. I'm not speaking about a holy place in in the tabernacle. I'm speaking about the holy place, you and me before the Lord. Very important to understand. And for my Jewish friends, I love you. But you will not find in Torah text. There is no verse. There is no verse that says the showbread is unleavened. You see, I know it's taught. I know it's widely taught. Talmudic studies, rabbis today. I know it's widely held belief but it is not found in the texts because it's an Old Testament example of the Christian in these earth suits of ours and in the holy place. You see? Now there are Old Testament passages absolutely about uh, uh, sacrifice and offering nothing mangy, everything pure, but in regards to the showbread specifically, and I love that because, you know, when you see Paul, when he writes the letters to the churches and, you know, he 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 writes letters to the churches, exhortation to saints, exhortation to Christians to move on, to mature in Christ. But then at the same time, the, the, uh, to consider these temples, our bodies as holy before the Lord. Understand, you know, when we come to Jesus Christ at zero percent. You know, we don't come to Jesus Christ with any righteousness. We, we come to him at 0%. But once a person comes to Christ, you don't stay at 0%. You grow and you mature in Christ. You go from two, 0% to 2%, to 5%, to 8%. But as you have that upward motion, you're going to go from 8% to 5%. From 12% to 9%. It's not just a straight shot to 100%. 100% is when you're dead. It's not a straight shot like a smooth line. It's not like the smooth line. You're going to have the jagged, the ups and downs, the ups and downs. But the general aggregate is upward. You see? And
1: it's beautiful.
0: You know why? Because the Lord, he, he knows what he's working with. He knows that you and me are wrapped up in these earth suits. He knows it. But he doesn't say, you know, okay, you guys are in these earth suits. So, you know, go ahead and do this. Go ahead and do that. Go ahead and do this. No. What does he say? As the word says, reckon the old man dead, reckon the old woman dead. Remember Jesus, when he speaks to the people, he says, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. And praise be to the Lord because, you know, as we grow and as we mature, these are things that we learn. And this first part in the Old Testament, the first part, the the holy place, the the, the first chamber, so to speak, in which was, in verse 2, the lampstand, the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. Remember, very specific formula for sanctuary. Very, very specific formula for sanctuary. Sanctuary. And today, it's exactly the same. There is a very specific formula for sanctuary, according to the spirit, according to the better covenant. And these are things that we've studied in our, you know, when we make the juxtaposition with Corinth and Philippi. And when we make the uh, uh, juxtaposition with uh, Alexander, Hymenaeus, and Paul and Timothy, or Timothy and Titus you see and through these studies through those the, the studies and you know how to grow and mature in Christ but then at the same time you know the pastoral epistles are studies through the pastoral epistles very specific formula for love feast for ecclesia for koinonia just like very specific formula for old covenant worship in the old covenant And notice here in verse 3, and behind the second veil, so we've already passed through, you know, the first veil, which is, you know, verse 2, the tabernacle was prepared, the first part. So the first part, there's passage into the first veil, which is the lampstand, the table, the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. But then there's
1: another veil.
0: Behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all. This is the Holy of Holies. And according to the law, only the high priest could enter. We have such a high priest, not of Levi, not of Aaron, but of Judah, of Melchizedek. Remember our studies in Hebrews? Remember Hebrews 5, let us move on to perfection. You know, uh, uh, Hebrews 6, uh, 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 you know, a continuation. let Let us mature once you get into Hebrews 7 and 8 and, you know, after, post, after chapter 7, but, you know, Hebrews 8, 9, 10, these are, these are deeper. These are deeper. And praise be to the Lord. When Jesus said to Telestai, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Telestai, it is finished. When he said that, that second veil, the first veil, which led into the first chamber and which was the lampstand, the table, the showbread, you know, which is called the sanctuary. When he says to Telestai, the second veil that leads to the holiest of all, the holy of holies, that veil was torn from top to bottom. It was torn. You see, and so look what happens here in this, the the second veil, the part of the temple, which is called the holiest of all in verse four, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid on all sides with gold in which were the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded and the tables of the covenant and above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Now, remember, according to the law, only the high priest could enter. And when that veil tore from top to bottom, understand who Jesus was and is. High priest. High priest. And according to the law, what would happen is that the Lord, you know, the high priest would enter the, the Holy of Holies and the Lord would speak to him. And then he would come out and speak to the people, you know, thus saith the Lord. You see? of Judah it's Jesus and in these last days the most high speaks through his through this high priest his only begotten son as hebrews 1 as hebrews 1 tells us
1: the mercy seat
0: And I love how verse 5 ends. Of these things, we cannot now speak in detail. We cannot now speak in detail. It poses a question. Why not? Cannot now speak in detail? Why not? Is it because the, the writer wasn't high priest and doesn't have experience in the holiest of all? Is it because the readers cannot comprehend? Maybe they're still young and they need to grow and mature and become deadly to understand these deeper matters. Is it because the writer is forbidden by the spirit of the Lord? You know, don't write this. I don't know. I don't know. That's the answer straight up. I don't know. But you know what? I love the reverence that we see here for holy things. Most holy, beautiful things. Now, I have ideas on reasons why, but I'll defer to the writer of Hebrews. We cannot now speak in detail. I love that. Understand that there is the gift of knowledge. Yes, it's a gift of the Holy Spirit. But the Bible says, A lot of times people say, oh, yeah, I know the Bible like the back of my hand and look how awesome I am. Look how awesome I am. They come at you. Oh, don't you dare. You question me on this because I know the Bible. Look, I went to Bible college. I went to seminary. I went to this theology school. They say all these things. But. There's an inherent danger behind that. Because to whom is given, much more is required. If somebody wants to get on a high horse and say, oh, look at me, I know the Bible, I know the Bible, I know the Bible. They better abide in every jot and every tittle. They better understand the covenants. Because most times when I hear people say that, they're sowing seeds of judgment unto themselves. The Bible says those who know they only know in part yes knowledge is a gift of the spirit but the bible says those who know only know in part knowledge is not the greatest gift and i say this to exhort you for your own exhortation yes Knowledge is a gift of the Spirit. The knowledge of the Word of God is a gift of the Spirit. And it's a beautiful gift, but it is not the greatest gift. And I say this to encourage you because before attempting to excel in the knowledge of the Word of God, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's a noble thing to have that desire. But beloved, excel in the greatest gift. And the greatest gift is love, because sometimes I've had these conversations with Christians, and they get kind of bummed out. Like, man, you know what? I I don't know the Bible. You know, I don't know the Bible too well. Well, that comes in time. I mean, picture having a you know, you're 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 in the park and you have a seat, and you know, a, a first grader comes and sit, sits sits next to you. I'm assuming. I mean, if you happen to be a one of my younger brothers or younger sisters, and you happen to be in first grade, you know. I'm making an assumption here that, you know, if you're listening, you're, you know, over first grade age. But say you're an adult and you're just sitting on a, on a park bench and a, and a first grader sits down next to you and is bummed out, teary-eyed, little sniffles. And you're like, hey, hey, little guy, what, what's the matter? And, oh, I'm so sad. He tells you, I'm so sad. I'm so sad. And you're like, hey, little guy, what's the matter? Why are you sad? And little guy says, I'm so sad because I don't know calculus. I'm so sad because, you know, I don't know geometry. I'm so sad because I don't know astrophysics. It's like, well, you know, little guy, hold on a second. You're in first grade. And it's not to shun it like, oh, you're just a first grader. Get out of here. No. You're in first grade. You have to master first grade. And then you master second grade. And then you master third grade. And in the course of time, be patient, little guy. Be patient, little guy. In the course of time, you're going to be the best astrophysicist. But you got to master first grade. And sometimes I have these conversations with Christians and they're kind of bummed out. Well, I don't know the Bible. I don't know the Bible. I don't. Well, that comes in time. That comes in time. The Lord knows. The Lord sees. But the greatest gift is not knowledge. The greatest gift is love. And you can excel in that. You can be in first grade and excel at the greatest gift. You can be in preschool and excel at the greatest gift. You can be in you know, in, in, you know, astrophysicist level and excel at the greatest gift and praise be to the Lord. Because if you're at astrophysicist level and you excel at the greatest gift, it's something that you put into practice all the way in preschool.
1: You see, don't be
0: discouraged. Don't be discouraged. The Lord knows. And in the course of time, you're gonna, you know, I remember one time you might've heard me mention this before. But I was having a conversation. It's like a four-hour conversation, like three hours and 45 minutes. But we're having this conversation, me and this particular guy, he wanted to be a pastor. And he was kind of in a position where he was kind of like uh, he desired to be a pastor. And uh, 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 gave sermons and spoke to Christians and taught Christians. And we're having this three-hour, three, three 45-minute conversation, almost four hours. Long conversation. And in the course of time, you know, he would say, you know, yeah, the Bible says this. It's like, wait a second. Wait a second. It is also written. And he says, oh yeah, the Bible says this over here. It's like, no, 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 no. That's not where you cited. It's over here in this book, in this book, in this passage, in this chapter. And he would go on and on and on. And in the course of time, I just flat out told him point blank. You know, the God that you speak of, that's idolatry. Because the God that you speak of is not the God of the Bible. And he had a smirk on his face with kind of like weird eyes. And he says, I'm the guy the Bible warns you about. You see? And this conversation that we had I was kind of taken aback. You know, of course, what he was saying, but I was taken aback for another reason. Because I didn't realize that I knew these things. I mean, I read my Bible. I read my Bible and I studied the Bible. And, but I didn't realize, like, as he was speaking, he would say, the Bible says this. And it's like, well, wait a second. No, 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 no. That's not what the Bible says. And then he would say more and more. It's like, oh, hold on a second. No, nope, that's not what the Bible says. And I was taken aback by the things he was saying, but I was also taken aback by like, wow, like, like I knew it, you know, I, and I didn't like have my Bible open or anything. It's like in my head, it's like, wow, I know, I, I know that what he's saying is wrong. And I don't say this to like, you know, oh, look how awesome. Oh, look, I'm boasting. I don't say it like that. But I say it as an encouragement because sometimes as you study, as you study the word of God, and you might be discouraged today because it's like, wow, I don't know the Bible. And, you know, I want to know the Bible. No, excel at the greatest gift. And in the course of time, you're going to know the Bible. And it might take you by surprise when you're you're talking with somebody, you're talking with a non-believer, and you're just like, you know, citing verses and sharing things that, you know, sharing the good news and telling them about the, and they ask you a question, well, you know, well, what about this? And it's like, boom, you got the answer right there. Ready to give your answer. And then you talk with, you know, somebody who's like in another doctrine and they challenge you. And it's like, boom, you're going to, it's just like, you're going to be taken aback. Like, wow, you know what? I I know this. I know where to cite this and praise be to the Lord because that's how the spirit works. That's how the spirit works. And I love it. You know why? Because it's like, wow, you know, it's like that intimacy with the Lord. That intimacy with the Lord, you know, it's, I don't want to, I don't want to say that, you know, like, you know, there's advantages to intimacy with the Lord. I mean, there absolutely are, but it sounds, it sounds, it sounds cheesy to say it that way. Oh, you know, like, like, you know, what's in it for me? No. No. But it's so beautiful when there's that intimacy with the Lord and the Lord speaks to you and, you know, and you pray to the Lord and the Lord, you know, he comforts you, he guides you, he leads you, he heals you, and, you know, that there's that intimacy with the Lord. Now, remember, we're in Hebrews 9. We're in Hebrews 9. We're not in Hebrews 5. We're not in Hebrews 6. We've, we're moving on from the elementary things. And when you see the intimacy that Moses has with the Lord, that Joshua has with the Lord, that Phineas has with the Lord, that Ruth has with the Lord, that Esther has with the Lord, that Hannah has with the Lord, and you see this intimacy, you know, don't reserve this intimacy to these beautiful examples that we have in scripture, but don't reserve it to them alone. Because it can apply to you, too. Deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. You see? Intimacy. Intimacy. And I love it so much how the writer here in verse 5 says, Listen, we cannot speak in detail of these things. I have my... Ideas on why that is. But we're going to table that. Because sometimes when I have these conversations with Christians. It's like, wow, I got to know the Bible. I got to know the Bible. I got to understand and have the knowledge of the word of God. And yes, it is true. I don't want to make it sound like, you know, don't have knowledge or don't desire to have knowledge because don't forget, you know, the Lord says my people perish for lack of knowledge. I mean, to desire the knowledge, which is the gift of the spirit. That's a beautiful thing, but it is not the greatest gift. The greatest gift is love. And you can be a preschooler, spiritually speaking. You could be a brand new believer. Today is your first day in Christ. And you can excel at the greatest gift. Which is love. Those who know. Know in part. Those who prophesy. They prophesy in part. You see. Because, you know, everything comes to an end except for love. I mean, there's going to, there are people who know the Bible very well, but eventually everybody's going to have that knowledge. There are people who have the gift of prophecy, but in the course of time, there's not going to be the need for the gift of prophecy because we'll be in our glorified bodies. But what remains love, you see? And a lot of times there's heavy emphasis placed on these other gifts. And kind of like the greatest gift is left neglected. Don't do that. Don't do that. Excel at the greatest gift, which is love. And praise be to the Lord because, you know, you're going to read your Bible. You're going to study the Bible. And then you're going to realize you're going to be talking with somebody. And then you're going to realize like, wait a second. That's not in the Bible. And then you're going to be speaking with another person. you're like, wait a second. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says this. And then you're going to realize, wait a second. I'm talking to a Calvinist. Wait a second. This guy is reformed. Wait a second. This lady is reformed. Wait a second. This guy's Hebrew roots. You know, wait a second. You know, she's Hebrew roots. This guy's Mormon. This lady's Jehovah's Witness. And once you know... You know, how they're coming at you, you're going to know, okay, now this is how I win them to Christ. You see? And don't forget there's some inherent dangers there too. Don't forget there's some inherent dangers there too because there's also found the wolf. And these are things that the word of God and the word became flesh, intimacy with him. You can be in preschool and excel at the greatest gift, but at the same time, you know, there is the gift of knowledge, but that comes in time. Just like that first grader at the park bench, little guy, what's the matter? And he's crying, I'm so sad because I'm not, I don't know astrophysics, astrophysics. I'm so sad because I don't know calculus or statistics. Like little guy, be patient little guy you got it let's do first grade first and then little guy we're going to do second grade next you see and in the course of time little guy you're going to be the astrophysicist you're going to understand that you're going to know it but that comes in time you see and i love how verse five kind of leaves that shrouded so to speak of these things we cannot now speak in detail and so we have here in verse 6. Now when these things had been thus prepared, now when these things had been thus prepared. Now remember we're speaking about the, uh, the you know the, uh, 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 the, the the tabernacle, you know, the ta- in verse 2 the the tabernacle was prepared and then in verse 6 now when these things had been thus prepared, the priests always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing the services but into the second part so the first chamber, you know, there's the first veil, and you go in that veil, and, you know, that's where you have the uh, 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 the lampstand, the table, the showbread, and, you know, the priest could go there. But then there's another veil, and not every priest could go there, only the high priest. And so the... The regular priests I don't want to say like the regular priest, but you know, the, the, the non high priest, they would go into the holy place and perform the services with the showbread, the table, the lampstand in the sanctuary. But then that second veil in verse seven into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. You see? Now, already, already we're seeing, again, limitations of the law, you see? Because the priests of the fleshly commandments, they also need blood for themselves and for the people. Do you remember our study in Leviticus? Who were the first ones to be cleansed? It's the priesthood. Why? Because only the clean can clean. And so the priesthood, they were clean and then once they were clean, okay, now let's go to work. Clean the people. You see? And even the high priest would go into the holy place, not without blood. And he offered for himself and for the people. Remember, life is in the blood. But what about a high priest with no sin? I shouldn't say a high priest because I speak of the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Not of Aaron, but of Judah. You see? The Holy Spirit in verse 8, the Holy Spirit indicating this. Now, that translates in the Greek as the Holy Spirit declares and makes plain. I love this so much because remember, the Holy Spirit teaches. The Holy Spirit teaches. What good teacher doesn't declare and make plain? What good teacher doesn't declare and make plain? And the Holy Spirit teaches. teaches. The, the, the Holy Spirit indicating this declares and make plain. Remember in Mark chapter 10 verse 18 is Jesus who says, why do you call me good? Good teacher, good teacher. And Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That is God. That's what Jesus says. But when you look at the works of his hands and the steps of his feet, you realize, wow, but Jesus is good. That only proves who he is. Remember, he didn't come to do away with the law, but to fulfill the law and the prophets. It only reveals who he's aligned with. And when Jesus says, I and my father are one, You see it. And the Holy Spirit in verse 8 indicating this. That the way. That the way into the holiest of all. Was not yet made manifest. While the first tabernacle was still standing. Now carnally speaking. Carnally speaking. We could go back in time. You and me, we go back in time. And there would be a tabernacle. And inside that tabernacle, there would be the holy place. And inside the holy, well, inside that the second veil, there would be the holy of holies. How is it that scripture says the way into was not yet? I meant carnally speaking, we could go back in time and we could touch it. We could touch like, you know, the, 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 the outer perimeter of the tabernacle. We could, you know, get in a high place and go, you know, to, to the mountaintop and we could like look over and we could see like, wow, look, there's the, there's the, uh, there's the altar, you know, and we could see these things. So how is it, how is it that the writer of Hebrews is saying it was not yet made Manifest. That the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest when we could go back in time and see it with our eyes. That there was a way into the holiest of all, carnally speaking. And that's precisely the point. It's carnally speaking. How many times in our studies in the Old Testament, especially Torah, how many times did you hear us say, observe Israel according to the flesh, according to the flesh, according to the flesh. How many times? Many times. So what is it that the Holy Spirit is declaring and making plain of the first? We see this in verse 8, the Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. In verse 9, it was symbolic. It was symbolic for the present time, in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect. Notice. Notice. Cannot make. Cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience. You know what that is? That's the inner man and the inner woman. The conscience. Perfection. Perfection is unattainable in the first fleshly commandments. To my Jewish friends whom I love before you call me a blasphemer. God promises rest. In the Torah, in Torah, God promises rest. How is it that in the Old Testament we don't see rest? How is it and why is it That we don't see the rest that God promises. In Torah, God promises rest. I mean, it just so happens we're in Judges 2 in our Wednesday study. And we just studied Judges 2. How is it that there is no rest when God has promised rest? How? How is... How is it that we don't see the rest that God promises? We see harlotry. I mean, in in, in Judges 2, we see harlotry. I mean, you know, is there rest in Judges 2? The answer is no. Is there rest in Assyria? The answer is no. Is there rest in Babylon? The answer is no to my Jewish friends. I love you. It's not blasphemous to utter such things. But God promises rest. And why is it that we do not see rest? No rest in Assyria. No rest in Babylon. You want to know why? I'll give you the answer. It's because the law. The law cannot touch the inner man and the inner woman in the conscience. I mean, when you bathe, You don't wash your lungs. You don't wash your heart. You don't wash your trachea. You don't wash your femur. No, you don't do that. Because there is an inability for water to penetrate. Living water, that's another ballgame. You see, the first covenant deals with the flesh. Observe Israel according to the flesh, the fleshly commandments. You see, Does that mean that God is a liar? No, it is written. God cannot lie. So why is it that God promises rest in Torah written by Moses? And yet we don't see rest in the book of Judges. And yet we don't see rest in Assyria. And yet we don't see rest in Babylon. You want to know why? Because Moses wrote about my King. Moses wrote about my savior. Moses wrote about my Lord, my master. Moses wrote about Jesus. You see the first covenant, the fleshly commandments, the fleshly commandments. Notice is the Holy Spirit. Let's look at verse 8 once again. The Holy Spirit indicating this that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, and the argument could be made. But there was the tabernacle. I mean, if we were to go back in time, you could see it. It was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing, it was symbolic. For the now, for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to conscience. You see, perfection is unattainable. Cannot make him who performed the service perfect. Why? Because there's the inner man, the inner woman. You see, remember Jesus was that you have, you've heard it said, do not commit murder. But anyone who hates has committed murder in his heart. Do not commit murder. Do not commit murder. Well, you know, that's a good thing. Don't commit murder. But then he goes inside. There's the living water. Remember, you, you you jump in the shower, you cannot wash your bones. You cannot wash your lungs. You cannot wash your spleen. It only deals with the outer. And Jesus says, you have heard it said, you know, uh, 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 do not commit adultery. But I say unto you, he who looks at a woman and lusts has committed adultery, has already committed adultery in his heart. You see, living water can penetrate and can go in. Because he deals with the conscience. He deals with the inner man, the inner woman. And it was symbolic. The tabernacle is symbolic for the now, for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him but perform the service perfect in regard to the conscience. Concerned only. Now, this translates a little harshly, but also beautifully. Concerning mirror, you're like, Whoa, hold on a second. If you're Jewish, I love you. If you're Hebrew roots, I love you too. How dare you say that about the law? How dare you say that about Torah? But there's an inability, there's an in- inability to find rest in Torah. Yeah, there's the Sabbath. But what about Sabbath for the soul? There's Sabbath for the flesh. What about Sabbath for the soul? Yes, the fleshly commandments. The mere commandments.
1: Because it points to the greater,
0: the better covenant. In verse 10, concerned only with foods and drinks, various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed, laid upon them, translates as laid upon them until the time of reformation. Translates as restoration. Laid upon them until the time of restoration. Understand, it is written. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. If anyone, if anyone, 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 if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. This is the better covenant. You see? To my Jewish friends and Hebrew roots friends, I love you. The very ordinances that you practice, they cannot make perfect in regard to conscience. They cannot. But that's how the very commandments were created. To make way for the better. And that's who Moses wrote about. He wrote about Jesus. You could be Jewish, you could be Hebrew roots. Understand, it is my desire my desire for you that you do move on to perfection, but I cannot force you anywhere. You must choose for yourself. The better covenant is Christ Jesus. And so notice what happens here in verse 11, but Christ came as high priest of the good things to come. Remember, he's the one. Jesus Christ is the one who says, I go to prepare a place for you. Good things are absolutely coming. And Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle. Now, not to to get off topic, but I have something to say about the third temple, which the prophesied third temple. And I have to say that I desire the third temple to be built. I desire the third temple to be built. And a lot of times Christians get very mad at me. But Jesus is our tabernacle. Jesus is our tabernacle. And listen, there's no disagreement there. Yes. He absolutely is the tabernacle, the greater and more perfect tabernacle, as is written here in verse 11. My desire for the third temple is not for temple worship and practice. No. But my desire is simply to cross it off the list of prophetic events. And that's the reason why I desire the third temple to be built. Not for the function of the temple, but to simply, to merely cross it off the list of prophetic events. That's it. Because Jesus is absolutely, absolutely the greater and more perfect tabernacle. As is written here, Christ came as high priest in verse 11 of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. In verse 12. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. You see, Buddha can't touch this. Mary can't touch this. Krishna can't touch this. One way, Jesus Christ. The question is, do you believe? I mean, if you're a Christian, praise be to the Lord. I mean, If you're lukewarm, repent, come back to Christ. But if you're listening and you're not a believer, maybe you're Jewish, maybe you're Hebrew roots, and you're realizing maybe the first time in a long time, maybe the the, the first time period, but you're starting to realize the danger of abiding in the law. Because if you're abiding in the law, you are outside of the law's fulfillment. You are outside of of Christ. You're Jewish? Come to Christ. You're Hebrew roots? Come to Christ. The fulfillment of the law. You're anybody? Come to Christ. And you hit pause. You listen to the message how to commit your life to Christ and you do exactly that. You listen to the message how to commit your life to Christ and you commit your life to Christ. You come back, you listen, and we continue on. We mature together. We move on to perfection together. And praise be to the Lord what the Lord has done. You see, his works are done. Remember, we we're beyond Hebrews 5. We're beyond Hebrews 6. We're moving on from the elementary things. We're not on milk anymore. His works are done. What about our works? What about your works? What about my works? Remember, we're not saved by works, lest any man would boast. We come to Jesus at 0%. But we don't stay at 0%. In moving on to perfection, to honor Him, to serve Him, and to honor Him, and to glorify Him. And at some point in that growth pattern, Become a friend of God. To become a friend of God. Where, you know, like Jesus says to the disciples, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. Because, you know, friends don't wonder what the master is doing, they know. And when Jesus, as verse 11 says, when he came as high priest of good things to come, the greater and more perfect tabernacle, Not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. You see? It's not found anywhere else. Only in Jesus. And notice in verse 13. For if the blood of bulls and goats. We're we're talking about law here. The blood of bulls and goats. Remember when Pharaoh told Moses, okay, Moses, you know, go, but leave the animals. And Moses says, listen, you know, no, we're not, we're not leaving Egypt on your terms, Pharaoh. We're going to leave Egypt on God's terms. And he wants us to take our animals. And when you read the, 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 the account of the book of Exodus, Moses even says, I don't even know, you know, I don't know what it's for, but it's what the Lord says. This is before Moses had the blueprints of the tabernacle. And he learned and quickly learned that, wow, we're going to need a lot of blood to atone for sin, to atone for trespass. And notice, if the blood of bulls and goats, we're, we're talking Torah, In verse 13, if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh. Notice the flesh, the flesh, the flesh, the flesh. I mean, remember the bathing you, you bathe, you're not washing your spleen. You're not washing your your lungs. You're not washing your heart. No, living water can. But the water that comes out of a the spigot, the water that comes out of a no, that that can't touch the heart, but living water can. And if the blood of bulls and goats and the he, the, the ashes of the heifer and the sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, 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 how much more in verse 14, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot. Remember, nothing mangy. Male lamb without blemish. Fulfillment. Offered himself without spot to God. Notice bulls, goats, heifer only address the flesh, but the blood of Christ. How much more shall his blood? Look at verse fourteen. Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Remember, we come to Jesus at zero percent. We come to Jesus at zero percent. I've had these conversations with people that, are like, well, you know, let, let me get my life fixed up and then I'll come to then I'll come to Jesus. Let me get my life fixed up and you know then I'll go to church. Then I'll believe. No, 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 no. That's not the way it works right here, right now you come to Christ today. Let today be the salvation, the the day of salvation and Jesus cleans his own fish. We come to Jesus at 0% and we don't stay at 0%. That's the problem. With false teachers and you know, like the uh, uh, um, uh, 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 the defunct pastors, like we saw in Corinth, because people came to Christ and praise be to the Lord, and they might have moved from zero percent to two percent to maybe four percent, but for three years they stayed there. Not Chloe. Chloe's the exception, and those in her household. Nice and safe for Chloe and those in her household. But for the majority, that's the problem with defunct pastors. Defunct shepherds. Don't shepherd to hundred percent. When it's defunct, that those defunct shepherds shepherd to maybe five percent tops. Not good. Those are the milk drinkers. Not good. Remember, we're in Hebrews 9. We're not in Hebrews 5. See, we're moving on. We've, we've put aside, if the Lord permits, we're putting aside the, the elementary things. Now I say, if the Lord permits, yes, he's willing. But it's the matter of you now. It's the matter of you. Those things which so easily ensnare the works of the flesh, the sex, the drugs, the rock and roll, the Buddha, the Ouija boards. Oh, God is love, it's no big deal. No. Is it a small thing? Is it a how many times I mean, if you've been walking with us for a while, we you've been through our studies in the in the Old Testament. People often think of, oh, it's just no big deal. You know, God is love. Look, it's just a little sex over here. Oh, look, look, some strippers over here, no big deal. Oh, look, little Buddhas over here. Oh, a little casino over here. No. It's not a small thing. Oh, but God is love. Yes, God is love. Yes. He's also just. Yes, he's merciful. He's also righteous. It's not you and me that attempts to make him yield to us. No, 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 no. We are the clay. He is the potter. It's you and me that yields to him. You see? And how much more shall the blood of Christ cleanse your conscience? It's the living water and the blood of Christ. It goes to the marrow. The blood of Christ can touch the marrow. The blood of Christ and the living water can touch the heart. Remember, Jesus, you have heard it said, do not commit murder. You have heard it said, do not commit adultery. I mean, there are people in the crowd like, you know, yeah, I've never murdered anybody. Oh, I'm not an adulterer. But then he goes to the heart. If you hate a brother.
1: You see, you've committed murder.
0: No, I haven't. I haven't killed anybody. I haven't. I didn't put a knife in his heart. You've committed murder in your heart. Adultery? What's going on in the mind, the dirty mind? Hey, you committed adultery in your heart. It's like, no, look, I haven't done this. I haven't done this. I haven't done that. We're not talking about the flesh. We're talking about the conscience. The inner man, the inner woman. To commit murder in the heart, to commit adultery in the heart. You see because Jesus doesn't address the the fleshly his the better covenant because the the fleshly commandments there are there's already the bulls, the goats, the heifer there's already and there's purification of the flesh, but there's a problem
1: it's the flesh you see but Jesus. It's completion. It's completion. Because
0: it cuts the heart. It goes right to the heart, to the marrow, and addresses the conscience, the inner man, the inner woman. It addresses the soul. How much more shall the blood of Christ cleanse your conscience? From dead works. From dead works see we don't we don't come to Jesus at ten percent 20 percent no we come to Jesus at zero percent we come to him at you know from dead works and in serving the living God we move on to perfection two percent eight percent twelve percent maybe from twelve percent to nine percent a little you know little hiccup And from 9% to 15%, the, the upward call. And praise be to the Lord. Because he's with us along the way. Teaching us. Showing us. The spirit with the helper. The seal of the spirit. That's why Paul says, do not quench the spirit. Do not extinguish the spirit. You know what's happening today? People are extinguishing the spirit but not the remnant, not so with the remnant in verse 15. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption or translates as salvation. Also translates as riddance, riddance. I like that for the riddance, the redemption, the salvation for the riddance of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance you see oh my goodness what the lord has done how good he is you see there is an inheritance there is a promise you believe in Jesus there is a crown in the heavenlies with your name on it you see There is a crown in the heavenlies with your name on it. Whether or not that crown is placed on your head, there is the head of your glorified body. There's a specific formula for that. It's intricate. It's easy. You know, Jesus says, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's easy, it's intricate. Very intricate, but it's still easy. You see, there are Calvinists and reformed theology people. Oh, this is only for those who are called. It's only for the elect and the others are predestined to hell. Listen, they're without understanding. Isaiah 66 verse four. God says, I called and no one answered. I spoke and they did not hear. You know what I say? Pick up the phone. Straight up, pick up the phone because he's calling. Where are the ears of these last days? Where are the ears? If you're listening, you're not a believer, and you still haven't heeded my prior call to repent and receive Jesus Christ as Lord, get hearing. Get hearing. And live. And you hit pause. You listen to the message. How to commit your life to Christ. And you do exactly that. And you commit your life to Christ. Notice. The promise. Of eternal inheritance. Notice here in verse 16. For where there is a testament. Where there is a testament. Or where there is a contract, where there is a covenant or where there is a will, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator testator. Say, for example, a multi-billionaire, a multi-billionaire says, Oh, I've, I've put you in my will. I've put you in my will and you're going to inherit all my assets. Understand that while the billionaire is alive, that document is just a piece of paper. That's it. It's just a piece of paper. There's information and there are instructions contained in that piece of paper, but it remains a piece of paper while the billionaire lives and you maintain your present lifestyle. But when he dies, when he dies, The power of that document puts things in motion where you no longer maintain your present lifestyle because the death of the billionaire effectuated the text of the will. How much more with Jesus? How much more with Jesus, Son of the Most High? You see, in verse 17, For a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, He took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Notice. Then likewise, in verse 21. He sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission. Remember verse 13, purifying of the flesh. The conscience, the conscience, the inner man, the inner woman. It's deeper than the flesh you see what the Lord has done? What the Lord has done. How beautiful are His ways. Remember, God sent His Son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. You see? But He doesn't make robots. He doesn't make robots. You and me, we have a choice to make. I mean, you're not in Christ, you have a choice to make. You are in Christ, you still have a choice to make. Remember, once saved, always saved is unbiblical. The biblical formula is once saved, stay saved. You see? And it's very true that we're not saved by works. But the Bible says we are saved for works. Now, People think of works as like, oh, I got to have 10 converts today. I got to have, you know, 100 100 converts per month or else I'm going to lose my salvation. No, it doesn't work that way. Because when Brother James writes about faith and works, remember the two are inseparable. It's a package deal. It's belief and obedience. Belief and obedience. You and me together. As the clay in the hands of the potter. We yield to the word of God. You see? Understanding the covenants. Understanding the covenants. Remember the warning label that came in our Old Testament studies through Torah? Because there are passages in Torah where, you know, you know, this is pleasing to the Lord. You know, you do this and it's pleasing to the Lord. It's like, wait a second, I thought we are in the new covenant. How could these things, how could these sacrifices be pleasing to the Lord? Well, understand the covenants. Just like, you remember, Fallujah and Haiti? Fallujah and Haiti, different rules of engagement. Just like the covenant, you know. In, in, in one camp, you know, pleasing unto the Lord. In the other camp, pleasing unto the Lord. New covenant. The better covenant. The law isn't over. The law is still in effect. But understand the law is a tutor. Remember the example we gave with my bad grades? I'm a straight D student. You're a straight A student and I need some help. And I say, hey, can you tutor me? And you say, sure, I'll tutor you. And all of a sudden, my D's become C's. My C's become B's. My B's become A's. And once I'm a straight A student, you know, we're, we're still friends. I love you. But I don't need you as a tutor anymore. Why? Because I'm a straight A student. The law is still in effect, but understand the function of the law. The law is a tutor to bring people to Christ. Once a person is in Christ and abiding in Christ, there is no need for the law. The law is still in effect for the other guy, you know, for the other gal. The law is still in effect. And that's where you and me go fishing. That's where you and me go fishing. Because the law is still in effect. And in the law is also found death. Because the wages of sin is death. You see? According to the Most High. Because Buddha can promise whatever he wants. You know, Baal can promise whatever he wants. Uh, the the uh, asterisk can promise whatever he wants. you know Mary can promise whatever she wants. Krishna can promise whatever they want. they they can promise whatever they want, but you know what? They are not the most high. Krishna can promise you know Buddha, Baha'i can promise whatever. Joseph Smith. Jehovah's Witness, they can promise whatever they want, but there's a problem. They're not the Most High. It's not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's Most High. And because He's Most High, we go by His rules. You see? And sometimes, you know, I have these conversations with, you know, like the, the non-believers in Jesus, but they, you know, they, they're Buddhists, they, they're they Hindu. And yeah, I understand those gods have promises. Those gods have promises, but they're not the most high, which means what in the world do their promises mean? Can you take those promises to the bank when they're not the most high? No. You might think you can, but you really can't. They might think they can, but they really can't. You know why? Because they're not the most high. I mean, look at the gods of Egypt. Look at the gods of Egypt. Even the priests and the wise guys of Egypt. that are, You know, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, look. We can make the water red too. We can make the water blood red too. Look. Look, we can do this too. Look, our gods can do this too. Yeah, they have power. But the most high, he could make it hail. You see? The most high, he could spread oceans. The most high, mountains melt like wax before him. Buddha can't do that. Mary can't do that. Because they can't touch the things of the most high. And I'm not trying to give credence to Buddha or Mary. Because if it's not the Most
1: High, why listen to that voice? You see?
0: And I say this as a former Catholic. You see? If you're Catholic, you worship Mary, you worship angels, you worship Buddha, Krishna, the Hindu Vedas... Believe in Jesus Because he's the son The only begotten son Of the most high God God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob The good shepherd And Jesus says Why do you call me good? Only God is good That speaks of who he is When he says I and my father are one You see Notice here in verse 23, in verse 23, we see here in, in, uh, um, or actually in, um, in verse, um, 18, okay, so in verse 17. For a a testament is in force after men are dead since it has no power at all while the testator lives. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken, every precept, notice he was, do you remember our studies in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers? How Moses was very meticulous. How, you know, he didn't know something and he just says, okay, hold on a second, guys. And he goes and seeks the face of the Lord. Somebody would ask him a question. Oh, hold on a second. And he would go and seek the Lord. And we see Moses as a type of Christ. And I love it so much that we see him as a type of Christ. Because as a shadow of things to come and you see the little Fallacies of Moses because he's not the Christ. Remember, he misrep- misrepresented the Lord because that rock was Jesus. That rock in the wilderness, that was Jesus. And the first generation dies. The same applies to you and me. The first generation born into Adam dies. Born again into Christ, different ball game. Life, there is no death. Oh, death, where is, your, where is your sting? Death is swallowed up in victory. That's only in Christ. And so Moses in verse 19 had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law. He took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and the people saying, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. This is the first covenant, the fleshly commandments. Verse 21 Then likewise he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and the vessels of the ministry. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Therefore, it was necessary. It was necessary. Verse 23. It was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Understand the better sacrifice of the better covenant is Jesus for heavenly things, for heavenly things. You see, understand paradise It's not of this world. Zion is not of this world. We need the better sacrifice. Can you see the love of God and what he has done? Because he made a way. And Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. And Jesus is the life. No one comes to the Father. No one comes to the Most High. No one comes to the Almighty.
1: But through Jesus,
0: See. And God, whoso loves you, He's the one who made a way through his only begotten Son. And verse 24, for Christ has not entered the holy place made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself. I meant if you're Jewish and you hear me say, like, you know, the, the inability of the law and the temporal nature of the, of the tabernacle and even the temporal nature of the temple, it's like, well, blasphemy, blasphemy, blasphemy. But understand, what is on earth? It's copies of the true. Because there is the heavenlies. There is the heavenly realm. The third heaven. Where is found paradise. Where is found Zion. You see. Look at verse 24. For Christ in verse 24. Has not entered the holy place made with hands. Well wait a second. The tabernacle. What we read in uh, Torah. In the, the blueprints in Leviticus. And the establishment in Leviticus and Numbers. You see, there is a holy place there, but it's made with hands. What about what Solomon built? It's still made with hands. It's more permanent to a certain degree. But it's still made with hands. They're copies of the true into heaven itself. And now to appear in the presence of God for Us Translates in the Greek as over us. Remember, coverings, Old Testament, New Testament, coverings, always, always, always male. The male covering of Jesus Christ for God's people. The male covering of Jesus Christ for God's people. You see? Just as Joseph was a covering of Jacob, How could it be? Jacob is his dad. Jacob is his dad. Joseph ascended to the right hand of Pharaoh. Another type of Christ. Male covering over Jacob. Male covering over Israel. If you're Jewish and you're like, okay, I could see Joseph as a male covering over Jacob, over Israel. Don't forget, Joseph, Zaphnath paneah he had a Gentile wife. Don't forget. Ephraim-Manasseh, grandchildren, blessed before children. To those with ears, my Jewish friends, I love you. I don't say these things to hurt you. I don't say these things to come against belief system to a certain degree. But I say these things to clarify the ancient texts so that you can understand. And so we see here in verse 25 in closing. Not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another, referring to Levi and Aaron. Judah and Melchizedek is a different ballgame. If of the flesh, if of the flesh, notice in, in, in verse 26, then he would have to suffer. He would have had to suffer often. Since the foundation of the world. But now once, at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin. Remember, bulls, goats, heifer, flesh, 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 flesh. Jesus, conscience, deeper than the flesh, the inner man, the inner woman. And it is written, Colossians chapter two, verse 14, the law nailed to the cross. Telestai. It is finished. The veil was torn from top to bottom. High priest of Judah in the order of Melchizedek. You see, not Levi, not Aaron. Very important to understand. And he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself and as it and as it is appointed for men to die once but after this the judgment translates as the, as the tribunal the tribunal innocent or guilty damn it people can make big spiels about this they can say what they want about but that's how it translates It is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment or the tribunal, innocent or guilty, balls in your court. Innocent or guilty, balls in your court. Oh, but Buddha says I'm innocent. That's nice. And Buddha is? And, and, you know, compared to the most high? And Buddha is who? Oh, but Mary promises. Okay. uh, Compared to the most high? Which, really, there's no comparison, but, you know, if we're going to play that game, compared to the most high? Who is Mary again? I mean the biblical Mary is you know beautiful, godly, but the Mary who Catholics worship? No. Sorry. Oh but Krishna promised me this Baha'i promised me this. That's nice. To the mo- are, are they the most high? Is, is, is Krishna the most high? No, absolutely not. And this is where people get very angry with me sometimes. You're trying to scare me into heaven. You're trying to scare me into heaven. Listen, I'm not trying to scare anyone. I am not trying to scare anyone. But this is the truth. When we understand who the Most High is, remember, the gods of Egypt, they had power. They had power. They had a lot of power. The gods of Egypt. And they could make things happen. But hail, they have they have caps, they have limitations. The most high. The earth is his footstool. Mountains melt like wax. Peter walked on water. The most high. There is none higher. Buddha can't touch this. Mary can't touch this. Krishna can't touch this. And the Most High made a way through His only begotten Son. Oh, you're trying to scare me into heaven. You're trying to scare me into heaven. How dare you? How dare you? How dare you? The non-believers. Oh, you're trying to scare me into heaven. The believers. You're trying to scare them into heaven. Listen. We have to clear the air. We have to understand, you know, this Is the truth because once the truth is laid out balls in your court, you have a choice to make. You have a choice to make It is written. It is appointed for men to die once after this, the tribunal innocent or guilty. The good news, the good news is that every single person can be rendered innocent. Every single person can be rendered innocent, but you have to choose for yourself. Ball's in your court. There you go. You're trying to scare me into heaven. Listen. I'm just the messenger. That's it. I'm just the messenger. The most high Buddha can promise whatever he wants. But that's Buddha. Mary can promise whatever she wants. But that's Mary. Now the biblical Mary is beautiful. The Catholic Mary. An abomination. You see. Krishna can promise whatever. Hindu Vedas promise whatever. Not the most high. You see. A time is coming and is here now. When people worship God in spirit in spirit and in truth. Those who come to the Father, those who worship the Father must do so in spirit and in truth. So what does that mean? It means we got to have the truth. we got to have the truth so that people can make decisions for themselves. Remember, God doesn't make robots. And once a person responds to truth, Then there is what's called the baptism of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Paracletus, of which Christians, we're told, we are warned not to extinguish, not to quench. You see? Once that happens, once truth is known, okay, ball's in your court. That's, you know... When, when Philip would evangelize, he would lay it out there, lay out the truth okay balls in your court. when Paul would go and share the good news okay there, there, here's the good news that there, you know there's tribunal you know it's appointed for men to die once and then after this judgment after this tribunal and that's terrifying. but the good news is every single person can be rendered innocent. you see? remember with Peter? What do we do? What do we do? Peter says, repent and be baptized. Repent, believe in Jesus and be baptized. You see? You're trying to scare me into heaven. You're trying to scare me. Well, let's remove the fear. Let's remove the fear. It doesn't have to be scary.
1: Come to Christ.
0: Because outside of Christ, yes, it's scary. I'm not going to lie outside of Christ it's scary because outside of Christ is death inside of Christ life and life everlasting one way the most high one way Buddha can promise whatever he wants but that's Buddha Krishna whatever he wants that's Krishna they can't make it hail. Mountains don't melt before them
1: because they're not the most high. You see?
0: Every single person can be rendered innocent, but you must choose for yourself. If you're listening and you still haven't heeded my prior prior urging, and my prayer called to repent and receive Jesus Christ as Lord. And you, at this moment, for such a time as this, you desire to be rendered innocent. That can happen right here, right now. You hit pause, you listen to the message, How to Commit Your Life to Christ, and you do exactly that. You commit your life to Christ. You see? because there are effectuators for God's promises is to abide in Christ. I take issue with the Calvinist reformed theology, what they call theology. I call theory. I take issue with them, but not, not only with them. With anything that prevents you from knowing truth, if you know, if 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 I'm 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 giving you the good news, I'm teaching truth, and all of a sudden the Buddhist wants to come in. No, I take issue with the Buddhist. I take issue with the Catholic. I take issue with the Calvinist. I take issue with Baha'i. I take issue with Mormon. I take issue with the Jehovah's Witness. I take issue with anything that's going to prevent you from hearing the truth. I take issue. But not in a manner of hate. Not like, okay, you know, I'm going to beat this guy up. I'm going to beat this person. No, 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 no. The weapons of warfare are not carnal. But I do take issue with that. Anything that will prevent you from hearing the truth. That God loves you. God loves loves you this door of grace it's not gonna be open forever i've had these conversations where the non-believers they'll come to me and say man you know this this world is crazy this world is crazy like you know maybe i went to the non-believer like five months ago a couple years ago and you know they remember and they come back like man you know what I'm, i'm starting to believe there's something to what you were saying two years ago there's something to what you were saying you know a couple months ago there's something because they see the world going into crazy town And praise be to the Lord. That's one of the things I'm so thankful for in the events of the last days. I mean, it's the Bible refers to the last days as perilous for a reason. It's going to be perilous, very dangerous. But I'm so thankful. You know why? Because people are starting to realize the error of false doctrines and sometimes they're non-believers they're not in a, a a formal religious doctrine but they're in the doctrine and the ways of the world the zeitgeist and they're starting to realize like man this is crazy Look at what they're doing to the kids in the preschool. Look at what's going on with the politicians. Look at what's going on with the you know the, these things that are happening in the world. Look at what's happening in the Middle East. Look at the Euphrates River. Look at these red heifers. Look at all these things that are happening. A convergence. We're living in a time of convergence. And yes, it's going to be perilous. And it's going to get worse and worse and worse. And yes, I am thankful. Because all these systems of belief, they're going to be placed in the scale and found wanting, except for one. There is one way.
1: And his name is Jesus.
0: The way, the truth, and the life. So yes, I take issue with anything that would prevent you or limit you from hearing the truth. I at least want you to hear the truth so that you can make a decision. At least I want you to hear the truth. But I want you to respond to truth in a manner that is pleasing to the Lord so that you can hear the good news and decide for yourself and choose wisely, knowing that God loves you. Remember, God sent His Son into the world not to condemn the world, but to save the world. You see, if you're Calvinist and you're listening, you're Reformed and you're listening, the Bible says here in verse 27 that only one death is appointed. To the Calvinist, understand, only one death is appointed is appointed and then the tribunal only one death is appointed you see the calvinist the calvinist what is taught among calvinists is that god appoints people to the second death but that's not what the bible says it is appointed once to die The Bible doesn't say it is appointed twice to die. It is appointed once to die. If you're Calvinist, you're Reformed, Presbyterian, you've got to jump ship. Because that brand of religion is found wanting. You come to Christ, the biblical Jesus, whose word is above his name, jump ship. Right here, right now, jump ship. And welcome aboard. You see? It is appointed for men to die once, but after this, tribunal, the judgment. Verse 28, in closing, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. Don't forget Hebrews 6. Don't forget Hebrews 6 about the re-crucifying of Jesus. Not good. Not good. And in one sense, you know, it's very difficult to to say in in one degree, but and probably difficult to hear to a certain degree as well, but I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the false doctrines that we see today. And not thankful for the false doctrines themselves, but I'm thankful for those teachings because of the people inside those teachings. Because when the Bible says in Hebrews 6 that when somebody has tasted of these good things and partaken of these good things and attempts to re-crucify Jesus Christ, the Bible says it is impossible to restore such a person. And that's why I have that thankfulness, not for the false doctrine themselves, but for the people that are trapped inside because of hope. That's why you hear us say, jump ship. You got to jump ship because the ships of false doctrine, they will fail. They will 100%. They will absolutely fail. And Christ was offered in verse 28, Once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin. His first coming, the Lamb of God, male lamb without blemish. Second coming, Lion of Judah. And he will appear a second time for salvation for salvation remember our studies through the thessalonian letters it's the rescue mission the appearing the rescue mission a future event for those who eagerly await him if you're listening for the first time or you haven't listened to our studies through the thessalonian letters go back and listen to those studies very important to understand the sequence of events in the last days during the 70th week of daniel very important especially in these days in which we live, the time of convergence. For such a time as this, our paths have crossed. For such a time as this. And praise be to the Lord. Praise be to the Lord. Can you see what he has done? This high priest, not of Aaron, not of Levi, but of Judah, of Melchizedek. Taste and see that the Lord your God is good. To the beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days, God bless you. I love you.